Welcome to The Stark Difference, a podcast where we delve into the journeys of leaders and pastors, exploring how God's calling changed and shaped their lives. Each month, we sit down to hear unique stories from guests from all walks of life who live out God's purpose for their life and make a difference in their world. We'll discuss the challenges and joys of leadership and ministry, the doubts and realizations in the calling process, and the ways in which God transforms us as we follow His leading. Whether you're a seasoned pastor, a person exploring leadership development, or simply interested in insight from those who have answered the call, you'll come to see the stark difference God makes when you say yes to His call. Welcome, welcome, Dr. Albert Reyes, our guest today on the Stark Difference podcast. Dr. Reyes, there's a lot to be said about who you are and what you have done, but let me just capture a couple of highlights. President and CEO of Buckner International, you are a prolific writer and I would say thinker. You are a leader of thinkers for sure. Written multiple books, have a new book coming out, Never Alone, The Power of Family to Inspire Hope, going to be out this year, 2024 in May. And so of all the things that people can and should know about you, let me tell our audience two things that they don't know. First, maybe some people will know this, but Dr. Albert Reyes grew up here in Corpus Christi. And so he is a native Corpus Christian, and we're always proud to call him one of our family from the city. Second thing is that people may not know about Dr. Albert Reyes is that when I was working on my PhD, he had finished a doctorate in his field, and he was president of one of our other Baptist Uh, colleges, universities here in the state of Texas. And I asked him if he would be my mentor. And he didn't know me and I barely knew him, but that started a brand new relationship that has carried us now for over 15 years. And so Dr. Reyes, thank you for joining us today for the Stark Difference podcast. So grateful to have you on with us. And thank you for being a leader among leaders and a leader in my life personally. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. It's great to have you, Dr. Reyes. You also have personally impacted my life as well. So it's great to speak with you today. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. So we are, we feel like we're getting to talk with a celebrity in both Rochelle's life and in my life. And so Dr. <laughs> Reyes, we don't want you to get a big head. We know that you'd never do that. But let me talk about something that is near and dear to your heart, and that is family. Dr. Reyes, what is one of your favorite family traditions? Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Rochelle, for uh, hosting me today. I would say there there are specific things that are tied to holidays and everything, but kind of the baseline for us is just to be together, family family time, just being together. Uh, And by that, I mean beyond my wife and been married 42 years now in January. And uh, and our three sons, we're talking about my two brothers and their children, which are my cousins for our kids. And whether it's my side or Belinda's side of the family being together. But our family, uh, I, my parents modeled this uh, for us early on when we were growing up, is that they just love to be together and laugh. You know, and the, the scripture says laughter is good for the soul, right? It's, it's, it's just good yeah. for your bones, good for your body. And so uh, we would gather uh, at my grandpa's house, my dad's dad, on Blunter Avenue in Corpus Christi in a small house I don't, I don't think it could have been more than 500 or 700 square feet. Very, very small. Nine kids grew up in that house, which is hard to believe. But we get together and we go visit our customary uh, uh, 
visit to our grandpa and, and I'd see my dad get together with his brothers-in-law and some of his brothers on occasion. And they would just laugh and tell stories and remember, and they just would laugh so hard that they, they it come to tears on their, in their eyes. And so I think that's been part of the tradition that we see there. It's just, they didn't have very much, but they knew how to enjoy life and, uh, and to be able to laugh about their experiences, which my brothers and I do that when we get together. We, we uh, joke around and, and say, remember when, and some of the things we can remember are pretty crazy. So we laugh. In fact, my, my wife says she never sees me laugh that hard unless I'm with my two brothers because they, they know how to make me laugh. So yeah, it's been great. Family is very, very important, and it's obviously near and dear to your heart. Thank you for sharing that. They say that laughter is good medicine. And that I bet between laughing and whistling, those are signs of someone who is really <laughs> comfortable with themselves and confident about what God's called them to do. And you have been the CEO at Buckner International for over 15 years. I think you're, what, 16 years right now. It's one of the biggest Baptist ministries focused on serving vulnerable children and orphans and seniors and their families. Can you give our listeners just a real brief snapshot of what Buckner's ministry, what it looks like day to day? Well, it, you know, it, it's, it's a fascinating ministry now for over 14 decades. Since 1879, uh, a pastor by the name of R.C. Robert Cook Buckner came to Texas and uh, right before the Civil War, lived through it, saw lots of dads and moms pass away and children being left as orphans. So from the beginning, he was focused on serving vulnerable children. And of course, their families and then senior adults as well. And the very, very early pictures of our original campus that we bought, that they bought in 1880, there's a row of houses next to the dormitories where orphans stayed, where he brought widows to live who served as matrons. So he had the very early beginning of life and the ending of life kind of put together, modeled after James 1.27 that says pure religion that God accepts is to uh, as faultless is to is to be is to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself undefiled from the world. So today, 14 decades later, we're still doing this ministry. I'm the sixth president. We still focus on foster care and adoption. Family Pathways is a program for single parents and sometimes dads, but usually females, moms, and then Family Hope Centers, uh, which you have visited, uh, Dr. Snelly in Guatemala where we take care of families that are struggling and they're on the verge of collapse or close to it. And we work with them to help them get stronger and be successful and sometimes have an economic base or learn parenting skills or whatever is needed so they can be uh, sustainable and strong and, and successful. So we do that kind of work. Uh, on the senior living side, we have six campuses in Texas. Um, uh, and then we serve children and families in six countries outside the U.S. We're in 14 cities in Texas now. So it's uh, spread across all over our state. And then in six countries, mainly in Latin America, but also in Kenya. So, and we're looking to grow and expand uh, to places beyond where we serve. Them. That's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Buckner is such a huge organization. And Dr. Reyes, I could tell that you are passionate about families. We just talked about some of those memories. And I too laugh not only a lot when I'm around my family, but I also tend to laugh very loudly. <laughs> 
So um, you can hear me from a mile away around my sister. But let me ask you, you are passionate about family and helping those that come from, you know, whether they've lost parents or they've lost a spouse or they're elderly. So you are very passionate about this. And obviously you feel called to this. On our podcast is a conversation about calling. So can you tell us, like, when you hear that word, what comes to mind and how did you find yours? Yeah, I, as a pastor in my early days of pastoring, I, I came to the conclusion and theological study, uh, which of, of course Stark focuses on, as is, is critical because how we think is what we do, and so so theology breeds methodology. And so doing ministry, I came to believe, or believing and then doing it, is that is that um, our calling is embedded in our salvation. So the way I say it is, our vocation is embedded in our salvation. So so God first calls us to a relationship with Him through the work life and work of Jesus and through confession of faith and belief and trust in him. And then uh, from that, we go into immediate discipleship to learn how to imitate Jesus, which then leads us to serving. And then our vocation is part of what we do. So our vocational calling uh, really is not separate from our calling to salvation. So it's all one calling. God, we didn't find him. He found us, right? So he's calling us into his presence, calling us into service, and Ephesians said that he, we are his workmanship, that he, uh, to, and he has given us things to do, ministry to do in advance. And so everybody that follows Jesus is called first to salvation, then to vocation. So I don't limit calling to ministers, right? I, I think everybody that follows Jesus has a calling to, to pursue, and it's just a matter of trying to figure out what it is. And for some, the calling and the assignment is to equip Christians for ministry. But every Christian then is a minister and has a ministry. So the question that we all have to have to really face to bring meaning to our lives is to uh, go in go in, in response to salvation and then say, now, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? And then hopefully it, it's, a, it's a reflection of your skills, abilities, talents, you know, experiences that somehow you connect that to the calling of all of creation to redemption, right, by, by the Lord himself. So I don't see a separation of our salvation and spiritual matters and our vocation and work matters. I see them as one expression of another. So it's integrated. And uh, I found my calling by just trying to be obedient. My parents, um, you know, they, they, they really took the spiritual formation of who we were to be as followers of Jesus as we responded. They presented the gospel to us in our home, to me in my home. I came home one day from church and I said, Mom, how can I get my sins forgiven? Because I heard the pastor saying that Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. And if we don't respond, then the alternative is that we're cast away eternally. And I don't want to uh, go there. I want to be with my family and with the Lord. So how do I do this? And they sat me down in the living room and explained the gospel to me. And then once I prayed to receive Christ, then we told the church and the pastor, and then I started learning more and was baptized a year later. And um, every Sunday, my mom would cook a really fantastic meal. And after the dishes were picked up and everything, she'd say, okay, go over to your the living room because your dad's going to read you a Bible story. So he would read the scriptures to us and tell us a story. And that was, then we could take a nap or go play or whatever. But um so the, the spiritual formation and discipleship was primary, a primary assignment for my parents in the home. 
whatever we did for church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, whatever was supplemental to that. So we didn't, we didn't, dele- they didn't delegate that to the pastor and the deacons. Although the pastor and the deacons did have a role, um, Sunday school teachers very critical into my formation, teaching me and pastors and deacons and, and everyone. That really made a difference. But my parents really took the lead on that, which I think is is a good model. The home is your first place of responsibility for telling about Jesus, and so that's that's what happened to me. And it's just an out, an outgrowth. I came to the place where I was ready to make some decisions. And I was 15 years old. I was at Primera Iglesia Bautista Mexicana there in Corpus. Rudy Sanchez, my pastor, Dr. Rudy Hernandez before that, then Dr. Rudy Sanchez. And he had a missionary come from out of the country from Spain. And for some reason that Thursday night, I think April the 15th or so, he opened a call for those that God was calling to vocational ministry. And I had been preparing, I think since I was nine years old, just really wanting to serve God and love, love the Lord. And and I came to the conclusion that there's got to be more to this than just coming to church, you know. So I went forward not knowing what I was doing, really, except saying, I, I think the Lord's calling me to something more than what I've been doing. I think it's ministry. I hope it's not to stand in front of people every seven days like you, Pastor, because I don't I don't want to be in front of people. I just, you know, I want to be in the background, but whatever. Then I realize you can't choose. You just, you just say, here I am. Use me, send me. That's how the, it started as a 15 year old. A year later, I, I preached the first time when I was 16 and I've been doing it since then. So almost 50 years now. So. Hi. I'm Dr. Katie Fugier, Director of the Christian Life Commission at Texas Baptist. We are so thrilled to be featured on The Stark Difference today and invite you to come check out everything our office offers to help grow congregations in Texas. At the CLC, we are agents of transformation, speaking to Texas Baptists rather than for them, equipping them to apply their faith to life and ethical conduct, public policy, and hunger and care ministry from a biblical perspective. You can visit us at texasclc.org to find out more. Again, that's texasclc.org. Now, back to the show. So, Dr. Brace, let me jump in here because you're clearly saying how important the family was to you in your discerning process, in your formation discipleship process. So I, we're getting the sense that calling is very critical. Past tense. What about uh, present tense? What is your calling now? and What does that look like? Yeah. Well, the calling uh, has remained the same as it was. I think, I think really all of life uh, as human beings in response to creator, redeemer, savior, Lord, master. I mean, all, all, all of life should be a response to him and not segmented for special people or for whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think I, I've continued just trying to obey and follow the Lord wherever he leads me. And uh, so I, you know, my dad, of course, had a big impression. There was a point when I was in my seminary training and I was working for Sprint long distance. Now it's called Nextel, I think, or I don't know, maybe a different name, but um, I was working and I, I kept getting promoted. Like every year I get a promotion. And I was working there for six or seven years as I was going to seminary. I took a three-year degree and I crammed it into six or seven. It, it's hard to do that because you have to be overcommitted. You have to be no time to study. And you have to be doing many things to put it into six. It, it's really hard to do that. But um, one day I called my dad and I said, Dad, you know, I keep getting promoted. And 
they say that if I keep on this track, I can become a vice president of this corporation and whatever. And, you know, there's gonna be a lot of money here. You know, maybe I missed, maybe I missed my calling, you know, maybe I should do that. And then I can make a lot of money and give it to churches and pastors and kind of help the kingdom out that way. So my question was, do you think, would it, would it be disappointing to you if I got out of seminary and just stayed in business, you know, and pursue that as my calling and be a Christian businessman? And he said, I was really struggling with it because, you know, you're getting all this success and whatever on, on the marketplace. And so I got, kind of was at a, at a Y in the road. And so he says, I only expect two things from you. And so I thought, okay, and kind of the phone got quiet. And he says, first, love the Lord and your, your, your wife, right? So you love the Lord and love your family, your wife at this point. And the second thing is, is serve people. If you do those two things, whatever you decide after that is fine with me. So I felt like, okay, well, I'm off the hook. I, I can choose, <laughs> which I could have done it <laughs> before that, right? But I thought, okay, well, if, that, if that's the threshold, then I think I'm just going stick to on, stick on the path that I first thought and understood as a 15-year-old. I'm just going to stick with it, and then maybe God will have to hit me on the head or something to knock me out of seminary or whatever. But I stuck with it. And so I think just that today now, I use other gifts and abilities that back then I wasn't using. So I think there's a book by Robert J. Clinton, The Making of a Leader, and he outlines five stages after studying numerous biblical characters. He, he, he saw a pattern emerge. So it's, so it's sovereign foundations, stage one, early ministry assignments or opportunities, stage two. Stage three is maturing ministry assignments. And then stage four is convergence, where all the different things that you've done in your past, every job you've had, every uh, vocational assignment you've had, that may not seem like it connects. When you get to convergence, my experience has been is that, is that it all fuses together into one powerful spot. And, and then you start to think, oh, well, that's why I used to cut meat in the store, because I needed to learn how to serve customers. Well, guess what? That's what I'm doing today. Oh, that's why I took finance, accounting, economics, you know, all that business stuff. When I, I thought it was a detour. I thought it was a, it was a distraction. But guess what I'm doing today, Dr. Stiley? I'm paying attention to accounting, personnel, finance, economics, all that. I, I do all that with 1,400 staff in Texas and another 1,000 across six countries and, you know, all, all the stuff that I thought was a, a really a distraction from following the Lord actually was central to what I'm doing today. So I'm still following the same calling of serving people. I still get to preach the gospel, but now I'm using other skills and abilities that I didn't always use before now. And now it's like I, I, everything I have to offer is what's required and more. So yeah, I'm still following the same I haven't, I haven't changed, just had different opportunities to express that calling along the way. Absolutely. There's been people I've heard that have said quietly, they don't say this out loud, but they sort of whisper it, that like God's calling fewer and fewer people to the ministry. And somehow like the best and the brightest are not hearing God call them right. into ministry. Right. What, what do you tell them? What would you say to someone if they whispered I, that to you? So the church is the cutting edge of uh, redemptive reality. And one of my professors uh, at Southwestern said that uh, the church is the sign and the agent of the kingdom of God. So if the church is a sign and the agent, in other words, it's the, it's the reminder and it's the vehicle of the kingdom on earth, then 
um, God will continue to call. He is con calling people to serve the church and to serve and to seek the kingdom. So I don't think the calling has stopped. I think maybe the way uh, people respond has, has stopped. Um, and, I, and I think that there's, there's some uncertainty there, right? When you say, I thought my plan was this, but now I'm going to lay my life before the Lord and whatever he says and wherever he goes, that takes a lot of faith and it takes a lot of, uh, you know, determination to say, whatever comes, whatever comes, let it come. I'm going to serve the Lord. And it's not about you. Right? It's not about a, a career. It's not about um, fame and popularity and influence. It, Jesus didn't say to chase those things, you know. Now they may come, right? If you if you if you seek the kingdom first, that that may and that's part of what you got to resist that thinking it's it's about you after all. And so I think that if we just serve and and do follow the calling, and I think the problem, Tony, is a lot of lot of us and Rochelle. There's a lot. It's common for because we're humans, right? It's common for us to think about career and you know financial support and all the things that we want to be. But G Jesus doesn't call us to be us. He calls us to be disciples and to yeah. follow him and to trust and obey. And I think, I think, I think if you, if we just abandon ourselves to that calling and let go, then I promise you, been my experience, that the Lord himself, who is the creator and owner of everything, will take you to places and experiences that you never dreamed. I mean, I've, I've been to places around the world and I've done things and I've been with presidents of countries and kings and I've been with all kinds of people that I, I thought, how in the world did I get here? So, I don't, you know, I couldn't have designed this. I couldn't have imagined it, you know, so that's, I think there's just the, God's calling people. The question is, are we willing to answer and to, to say wherever he leads, I'll go. And if we can't say that and do it, we need to stop singing that song because that's just actually, it's a contradiction. You start preaching now. Yeah. Yes. Well, and you know, Dr. Reyes, here at Stark, our students are hearing that call or at least maybe having clarity of that call later in life. So many of our students, the majority of our demographic, you know, the average age in the 40s here at Stark. And so I do think yeah, that you're right. Yes, it's maybe it's the timing of that response, maybe. Um, but we agree that the Lord is still calling his people to serve in the local church. And so speaking of the local church here at Stark, we love and honor the leaders that the Lord places among us. And every year at our Hand and Dove Scholarship Banquet, we honor some of the people in our community that have made a huge impact. And I just have to say that one of those, of those years in 2014, Stark honored your parents, Gus and Gloria Reyes. And we were so blessed to be able to do that for their a lifetime of Christian service. And in fact, there is an endowment that we have established in their namesake for Hispanic students. And so can you share one story with our listeners about how your parents impacted you um, and your siblings and so many others? Yeah, that, that, uh, thank you, by the way, for that honor of, uh, of highlighting my, my mom and dad. Uh, they're obviously from Corpus and love the Lord and wanted to be a part of uh, providing opportunities for students to study. They always thought it was important to, to be learning and to study. And so every, every year I get the, the letters of students telling their testimony. It's just a real blessing to, to get that. And then to know that my parents had a 
hand in that. What's interesting is that when, when y'all had the banquet back in 2014 and honored, you know, they brought in their circle of influence, their uncles and aunts, my uncles and aunts and cousins and acquaintances from Corpus area to be a part of this uh, vision and dream. So um, it, it's, uh, it's such an honor uh, to have been a part of that. My parents definitely, I, I don't know, they, di- they didn't have a secret formula, right? So I, I, I think they just did what they were, what they learned. Their pastor was uh, Ignacio Gonzalez, i.e. Gonzalez, uh, there in Corpus Christi at Primera, and he was a roommate of uh, President Lyndon LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson at Texas State University. They were college buddies, and that was the man that discipled my dad. And then Hermana Cepeda was another lady that, that took him under his wing. So, you know, my dad was a U.S. Marine, and before that, he was a kind of a street person. <laughs> he just, you know, he was, he was pretty rough. He was <laughs> the rough version, you know. But then he came to the Lord, went to the Marines, came back, married my mom, was discipled by this pastor, and he got his life uh, straight with the horse. So then he just then taught us what he was taught. So they influenced us um, by just uh, not only what they believed, but what they did. And they modeled it for us. So we got a lot of teaching and, and stuff, but the, the intersection of our faith and work w- was about ethics. And my dad always said, you know, he knew I was going to get more education than he, he did. And so he, he said, when you get your titles, you know, in your education, don't forget where, where you're from. When you see that poor person, when you see that person struggling, and having a hard time, just remember that was us. So don't don't let your education think you're you're too good to serve people. And so I and I was with him a lot of times when people because he was in law enforcement in Corpus in Oasis County, and multiple times people would come come up to him and say, Officer Reyes. And I'm like, Well, who's that? And he said, wow. I'm so and so. My course, my dad didn't remember them. And they would often say, you're the one that arrested me on such and such day, <laughs> or, or, you know, you took me to jail, or you, you know, you heard papers. And he says, but you know what? You always treated me with respect. And I just appreciate that. I got, you know, they got over whatever they were dealing with. But my dad would take me to the jail, right? And he would, he would say, now, these, these people here, they did something wrong, but they're still people. They're still, they deserve respect and dignity. And so he had a good reputation in the jail. And even p- after people saw him later, remembering that, yeah, you, you pulled me over and you arrested me or you took me in or whatever, they had good things to say about him because he, he always taught us that everybody uh, merits dignity and respect regardless of what. That they, they, the only difference is they broke a law and I didn't, right? I'm not better than them. So that, that's the kind of influence in just a strong Christian ethic of integrity, honesty and treating people uh, how you want to be treated. You obviously got an education at home that was, as we would say, world-class, right? I mean, you, you have several titles now, educational titles, but it sounds like that your mom and dad were your first tutors, your first professors. And it's not just with you. We, we know your family. Both you and your brother, Gus, have doctorates. You have two doctorates, a doctorate of ministry and a PhD. Gus has a doctorate. Um, what would you say to other Stark students who are praying about pursuing theological education, a master's degree, or even crazy idea, a doctorate? Why, why would you think leaders need to pursue that kind of education? Yeah. Well, you know, there's the education of your local church in Sunday school and you know, Bible lessons and, of course, your pastor, you know, sermons and all, all that's important. 
if you really want to dive deeper into your faith, even taking one course in theology or Bible or even a degree will inform you how to think theologically, right? How to think about situations that, how to, how to have the mind of Christ. You know, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, what would Jesus do? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think we can know, but I do know what he did. And if I will know what he did and try to copy it, I think that's a better, a better place to, to, to stand. But we, we want, when you go see the doctor, people listening to this uh, interview, you want the best doctor and you look on, I look on the wall to see if it says MD and what school they graduated from. I want to make sure that if you're going to cut into me or you're going to do some kind of procedure or you're going to mess with my body, I, I want the very best, highly educated people to treat a body that one day is not going to function. I'm just going to turn to dust. I'm going to die. You know, the, the, the mortality rate, the last time I checked for the human race is 100%, right? So we all have an appointment, right? So if, if, if we want the very best doctors to treat our teeth or our bodies or our minds, then what about the soul? You know, I want my minister to be highly educated and informed. And so uh, we say you never waste time sharpening the ax. Uh, you know, uh, Rick Warren said that. And of course, Solomon sa says that, you know, you want to have a sharpened edge, right? So uh, go as far as you can. Study as much as you can. Love the Lord God with your heart, soul, and mind. And the mind means you need to cultivate the brain he's given you so that you can learn. So I think that's important. Um, and uh, some of the first memories I have of Stark is, was some of my pastors, you know, and people I knew, Reverend Jonathan Hernandez, who's now in Arlington, Alcides um, Guajardo, and there's a number of others, Eliseo Adape. Uh, uh, most of the people that I looked up to growing up graduated from what was then called the University of Corpus Christi, the forerunner of Stark College. And so, you know, I think that that's critically important that ministers study to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed. And so there's always, if you can and you have time and you have resources, even if you don't have resources, if you feel a call to study one course or a degree, a bachelor's, a master's, or even a doctor, I, I say go for it. You know, why not? Why not prepare yourself? Yes, absolutely. So that's how I started, Dr. Reyes. I started with one class here at Stark. I took one class, one semester and the others. And then I was like, you know, I am going to just jump in with all in and start it full time and uh, eventually got my master's in family ministry. And so I'm just blessed now to actually be a family pastor. So our education is training for our calling. And so absolutely. So it's speaking of education, right? Education is a big part of equipping leaders. And we consider you a, letter, a leadership expert. Dr. Reyes, is John Maxwell, who is also a leadership expert, says that leadership is influence. We live in an age today where we have an ever-increasing number of what is called influencers who want recognition. But I feel like the same time that we have a decreasing number of leaders who are willing to take responsibility. So help us, those that work in the church, how can we better understand this in our culture and break through all of these other voices with the truth of the gospel? Yeah. Well, there, there, and there are a lot of voices, Rochelle, as you pointed out, whether it's social media, or, or television, radio, all kinds of input coming to us that tell us what's important. But the Word of God may not be as prominent as those other 
inputs, and it should be a primary input for followers of Jesus to read the scripture and, and, and really understand the story of redemption and how we fit into it. And probably the most influential person in human history was Jesus of Nazareth, right? Jesus himself. And of course, he did teach and he did say things and sermons and stories and, and so on. But I think the greatest impact that he made was modeling for his disciples what he meant by what he said. And, um, I, you know, Christianity today and maybe even ministers today may not have the same standing in society back as back in the 50s or even before then, 19th century. They were they were pillars of society, right? Today, ministers may not have that standing, right? So I think that um, <clears throat> with all that's going on and uh, a tendency to move away from godly principles, biblical the theological underpinnings, our society is left alone, left to itself, will drift away from that, right? And you see that no matter what media that you look at, you, you see that tendency. Uh, and so and so there's a lot of skepticism. And there have been ministers that have really made bad decisions and demonstrate bad examples of what the gospel really is about. And so I think that to make the impact, pe people may not be interested in what we have to say. They may tune us out or be skeptical or just not want to hear. But it's very hard for them to ignore what we do, right? So when, when you step in and respond to someone who's in need and you serve them without anything expected in return, just serve people, right? So I, I often say at Buckner, we, we're the messengers and uh, we have the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And we step into the mess, right, and start to fix things without any, I, I tell my staff, don't, don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the Lord. Don't talk about the gospel. Just do it. Right, just do what, yeah. what Jesus has done in this situation. And then people eventually are going right, to, the right. human spirit, there's the curiosity. They're going to ask you, but, but I don't understand. Why did you come, why'd you come here? And they, people don't even know we're here, you know? And I think that once we, if we, so I say we, we lead with needs and we follow with words, lead with needs, follow with words. And so we start at the point of need and just get in there to help and maybe develop a relationship and keep doing it, right? And then, and then when the question comes up, my staff knows that the answer is Jesus, right? And if you're uncomfortable saying that, you, you're responsible to find someone who can explain why, why we showed up to serve. And I think that's the way that Jesus, um, not really desiring influence, but by leading through serving, and then, and then he had influence. It, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, you know, a benefit after the fact it, it, it comes that way. It's a powerful message to be uh, spoken and remembered that you, what'd you say? You lead with needs? Yeah. Follow with words. And follow yeah. with so, words. Yeah. So what I tell my staff is that, you know, you've heard the saying, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But I say, but you can put salt tablets in their mouth. <laughs> so you can make yeah. them thirsty. Right. Yeah. It, it's, so every time you serve someone, you know, you're in a, in a way you're, you're, throwing another salt tablet in there and saying, you're going to get thirsty eventually. And so they're going to come to a point where, where they're going to ask, but either how can I know the God that you serve or why are you, why'd you come or why, why, why me, you know? And, and when, whenever the question comes, then you, you're a hundred percent telling about the Lord, tell them the Lord sent us to the Lord himself sent us to serve. And we, we see about 300 to 500 professions of faith every year in our ministry. And um, even though we're not an evangelistic society, we're not a church planting organization, but we do lead people to faith in Christ. 
And then we look to churches to connect them for the discipleship part because we, we just don't. That's not what my staff is trained to do. We're trained to go in and fix problems, social issues, family issues. And out of the hurt and the pain emerge people who say, well, you know, now that you've helped me, I, I want to know, like, why? <laughs> so we tell them and then they come know the Lord, they study the Bible, they pray, they become followers of Jesus and get integrated into churches. So rather than start with a message, we start with the need. And then we follow up with words and that it, it's not the only way. It's just a different way. You know, there are some ministries that want to just proclaim and that's OK, too. But after you win them to the Lord, don't you want to give them something to eat you know? <laughs> or don't you want to help the rest of their life now that they follow Jesus? So we just flip it around and we start with needs first and then we follow with words. And we don't have any short opportunity. We don't have any, uh, 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 I guess, lack of opportunity to to tell the gospel when they're ready. I've said to my students, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's a, a different way of saying what you've just said. So, yeah, thank you. you you've already mentioned uh, Robert Clinton's book on the making of a leader, and that's a book that would be very helpful to someone as they're trying to discern both the season of life and kind of their what their calling could look like. And as you said, that convergence point in life and ministry. Would there be another book or maybe a particular author that has been very instrumental to you in your own ministry and your calling and your formation? You know, there's there's so many. Uh, I see the books behind you and Rochelle there. I'm not in my library now, but I have a <laughs> reference library, which means. I get to, it's like a Luby's cafeteria line. I kind of nibble on different things, but I never eat everything that's on the line. You know, So people say, well, have you read the, those books behind you? And I say, I've read probably part of all of them, but none of the 100% of all of them, maybe a few, you know, but there's so many out there. I think Homegrown Leaders is another, I think it's probably not, uh, you have to find it at the William Carey Library because it's not widely published. Home, homegrown Leaders, how to develop the leaders that are around you. Uh, and, you know, just uh, sometimes we want that leader when they're right under our nose and we have the assignment to equip them. It's just seeing the people who are around us and looking at the potential. So that's a good, that's a good book. The Serving <laughs> Leader is another, another really good. It's a, I like thin books. I don't like the thick ones, but I like kind of like get to the point. You know, I want to know what I can digest there quickly. I'll tell you one of the best books, The Serving Leader, is a secular business book, but don't be fooled. There is a there is a theological, biblical correlation to, correlation to it. As you read this book, you start thinking of all the stuff you know that's in the Bible. It's like, oh wow, he's he's kind of preaching to us, but he's not using Bible language, you know. So the serving leader is an excellent excellent book. Another book I really love it when Harvard and some of these other writers uh, that are not theological writers figure out what Jesus meant. That's right. Just, it's like, well, you came around finally. You know? So another one that I really like is uh, Excellence Wins. Excellence Wins by Horst Schultze, H-O-R-S-T uh, and Schultze, S-C-H-U-L-Z-E, Horst Schultze. Horst Schultze is the founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel chain. I think he's already retired, but but in that book, Excellence Wins, he tells his story. It's a and that's a thing. You know, I, I've come around to the fact that that people love a story. Humans love a story. So anytime you can tell a story and then draw down verses, I, I'm not I'm I'm shying away more these days from propositional preaching 
and trying to turn more towards narrative, right? There, because there's a narrative in the scripture if you if you look for it. But, but anyway, he tells his story, and we have to wait to the end to, to find Jesus. It's it's like, okay, there he is. Well, the whole book is about excellence and customer service and how to treat customers. It's it's excellent. It's almost a manual for anybody that serves customers, nonprofit or for profit, in churches and whatever. How you how you should treat people. But at the very end, he then he 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 ends with a redemptive story of his own. It's like, oh wow, that makes sense now, you know. And anything uh, that that he writes is, is really really excellent. I think "Lead Like Jesus" uh, is is another one. Uh, uh, Ken Blanchard writes about that. I met Ken Blanchard when I was working for for Sprint years ago, before he was a follower of Jesus, and then he came to know the Lord. And he 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 was a world renowned management consultant who my company for profit had hired to train us, those of us that were in supervision. And then he wrote the book, Lead by Jesus. And I think he says, everything I've ever taught about management, Jesus, I learned from Jesus first. He, he did it first. <laughs> so I think there is that tendency uh, in theological thinkers and, and students to think, well, that's business and this is ministry. I think it's a false dichotomy. And yeah. I know, no, no, you're splitting something that shouldn't be split. Because remember, Jesus was a carpenter. He was a business guy. Do you think he gave away all the furniture that he made? It was that? No, I don't think so. I think he sold it, right? So, and then whenever he gathered his team, he got these business guys that had a fishing company to join his team, and he even got an IRS agent, you know, Matthew, to to jump to join his team. So he got accountants and business leaders, and you know, um, and so I I, I think to, to to separate business principles that are biblically based and reflective of the Lord himself to separate that from, well, this is ministry, sometimes comes off as an excuse for sloppiness and, you know, half-hearted effort, you know, so no, uh, I think there's, now, we don't want to treat the church like a business, but there are business principles. Every church I pastored was a 501c3. It had budgets, it had committees, it had finance, it had physical plant, and that stuff you had to manage, none of which is normally taught in a theological degree. So I think putting business principles and checking them yeah. by the scripture to make sure they're no, biblically that's good sound. Stuff. And there's a lot of good wisdom there. And that's why I like business books that have a hint of Jesus in them, because then you get the best of both worlds. You know, at, at Stark, we recognize what you've just said. And so we actually include some of those classes, or at least elements of them, within our theological preparation and training. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear you uh, resonating with that as well. Look, you clearly have a lot of wealth of knowledge and experiences to share. And so, Dr. Reyes, if someone wants to connect with you outside of this podcast, I know you have your own personal blog, and then you have some other uh, social media handles. How might someone connect with you if they want to just connect with you later on? Yeah, there's several ways. Uh, the blog has reflections of uh, what I'm thinking at the time, what I've done, uh, experiences, uh, speaking engagements, books that I've written. So that one is at uh, www.albertlreyes.com. So that's a, a website that has my name and it's, it, we use it at, for Buckner reasons. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn, <laughs> uh, I'm Instagram, Facebook, and if you just look up my name, there's a lot of Albert races out there. Just make sure you, you find the one that looks like ministry because there's some other guys that are wear that name and do different things. But and then of course my the Buckner website is Buckner.org, Buckner.org, www.buckner.org. And then my email is a at Buckner.org. So there's different ways to 
track what I'm doing or reach out to me for different things. So always, for always, those who may not realize what he just did, he just gave us access to his leadership lessons in life and communication opportunities. And so don't think that he gives that to you flippantly as a listener. He actually believes deeply in raising up new leaders. Dr. Reyes, thank you so very much. You know, we're here early 2024, and there's always the resolutions that people make in the beginning of the year. But I'm just curious, if you were to give our listeners one piece of advice for the year 2024, what would you tell them? What would you encourage them to do today? Well, you know, the the ministry that I've experienced over the years is really, um, it's not something I planned, something I responded to. And for ministry students um, in study and wondering what the future's like, and you know, there's a lot of, as we talked earlier, a lot of noise, and you can you can get off on the wrong track. And oftentimes, I have young people say, "How did you do it? You know, how did you get to where you got?" I just want to listeners to know that there's really nothing special about me. There's nothing unique about me or my brothers or my family. It's just you just try to obey and follow the Lord. And and maybe I would say I've, I've been stubbornly obedient, right? Because once I determined that, okay, it's all or nothing. It's to follow the Lord wherever he leads, whatever he gives me, wherever he sends me. And that's it, right? Nothing else, nothing else factors into that. One time I went, I answered a call to the Hispanic seminary and one of my colleagues, contemporaries said, you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go there. That, that's bad for your career. And I said back to this person, with all due respect, I, I didn't know this was about a career. I thought it was about a calling. <laughs> so, so if it's about if, if it's about career, well, for sure I'll be looking for a way to advance and make money and do stuff. But I'm sticking with the calling, and I, right now I feel called to that, and we'll see what happens, you know. But, but yeah, I would say a stubborn determination to obey. Right, wherever he leads, I'll go. And and that's what I've tried to do. I've been imperfect. And I think if, if you just do that, the Lord himself has not lost track of your zip code or your address. He knows where to find you. And he knows how to lead people to go find you. So I don't think we have to promote ourselves and be looking over someone's shoulder to make a connection with that political contact or this or that. You know, I just don't have energy for that. I can keep track of following Jesus and then let him take care of the rest, right? Seek his kingdom and his justice. And he's, he's been faithful to take care of everything else. And whenever I've decided not to back off of those, that obedience, then there have been consequences to that. You know, I think I don't, I'm one of those people that there's not a demon behind every bush, but I also don't think that they don't exist, right? So I think it's somewhere in the middle that there is an evil in presence in the world, Satan and his demons, and he's going to attack and try to knock you out, right? Get you out of the race. And so because I determined not to step out, I think my wife has been impacted with fibromyalgia. My sons, two of my sons have an illness, uh, cataplexy and narcolepsy, you know, and there have been wave after wave of discouraging things happen and obstacles come to, come in front of me because I've been determined to obey. and. I guess that's why, but that hasn't, that's not going to stop me, right? Till I take my last breath, my hope is to be serving the Lord in some capacity. So he knows that I'm going to try to be faithful in my imperfect ways every day. Ask myself, Lord, ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What, what's, what, what, how can I serve you? What do you want me to do? That's what I hope everybody will, will consider is just look, just answer the call, right? And then do what you got, do whatever he says that you understand 
right, that God's calling you to do. And you're going to have to make decisions, right? God doesn't tell you what color of socks to wear, right? So I, I'm always leery when someone says, God told me. I'm like, well, are you quoting a scripture or are you telling me there's another voice besides a scripture? Because that doesn't mean God can't speak to you. But when you start saying, God told me this, then it sounds like you're not taking responsibility for what you decided. It's a combination of sovereignty of God and the free will of man. It's in the middle. So you had to make choices and they have consequences. And to the best of your ability, you try to discern where God's leading you, but then you got to make a choice, right? Door A or door B, and then live with the consequences. And hopefully you'll uh, find your way to serve him. You know, Dr. Reyes, your story reminds me a lot of the scripture, that this parable that Jesus told about the, the talents. And as someone who felt like personally, I was a person given just one one talent, and I squandered it away. I can't help but remember what Jesus said, faithful with a few things before faithful with much. Dr. Reyes, you clearly have been faithful through the the good days, the difficult days, the challenges, the joys. Um, Some might say your, your background and upbringing was a little, but God took that little, and through your stubborn obedience and your perseverance and faithfulness to his calling. you He has led you to be faithful with so much more. Dr. Reyes, thank you for joining us today on this Stark Difference podcast. We're so grateful to have had you as our guest today. And may God continue to lead you as you lead across Buckner International. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for joining us here on the Stark Difference. For more, follow or subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast player. And if the spirit moves you, leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, subscribe, and ring the notification bell to get notifications for new episodes. The Stark Difference, a conversation about calling, is a production of Stark College and Seminary in association with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by participants of the show are those of the individuals and may not reflect the views of Stark College and Seminary or Westport Studios. Know someone who would make a great guest on the show? Or do you have a topic in mind you'd like to hear discussed? Drop us a line at podcasts at stark.edu. We're so glad you joined us today to hear this conversation about calling and hope it inspires you to grow in your own calling and faith journey. Till next time, may God keep making a stark difference in your life. Hasta luego!